read my text verse today out of Luke 17. In fact, if you would stand with me, just in honor of reading God's word, we, we like to stand here to read the, the word of God. Luke 17, verses 5. It says, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Uh, in our People, Places, and Things series that we're doing this summer, uh, we're going to talk about a thing today, the, the mustard seed, the mustard seed of faith. And the title of my message today is, Does Your Faith Cut the Mustard? <laughs> if you're young and don't know what that means, that means, does your faith meet expectations? Does it do what it's supposed to do? So, uh, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we do thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this time we have together here in church. For everybody in this building, everybody watching online, Lord, I ask that your name would be glorified, Lord. Today is all about you, and I pray that you would do your work in each one of our hearts, that this mustard seed of faith would produce fruit in our lives for your glory, God, and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, tell your neighbor to pass the mustard. <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it'd be funny. I really love mustard, so I put it on everything. <laughs> I put mustard on mustard if I could. All right, do you ever wish you had more faith? Anybody ever done what the disciples did here with Jesus and said, increase my faith, Lord, give me more faith in my life? I hope you have. I think that's a good thing for us to do, to be wanting more faith. Is there anybody in your life maybe that you've seen and you've thought, man, I wish I had faith like that person. I wish I could trust God like this person in my life does. It's actually a really good thing if we have people in our life that we could aspire to have faith like them. Uh, it's one of the reasons it's so important for us to be part of community, to be part of the church body, is because when we do that, we are encouraged by each other's faith. And that's a good thing. I remember when I was a teenager, when I was about 18, and I really started cutting my teeth in my faith and really decided I was gonna start living my life for Jesus. And uh, the associate pastor at my church at the time was a man I really respected a lot, and I really admired his faith. He had such strong faith. He had taken his family and moved to overseas to be a missionary for a while. He'd been all over the world teaching the gospel and preaching and doing evangelism. And then they brought him to our church, uh, my home church up in Ohio, to be our associate pastor. And man, I just loved his faith. I just thought it was so great. And uh, I would just go to his office sometimes just to talk to him about the Lord because I was just always encouraged and challenged by his faith. And uh, I remember one time I was reading my Bible and I was reading the crucifixion and I just had this overwhelming feeling that you know, if I had been on the earth during the time of Jesus, I probably would have been one of those people in the crowd yelling, crucify him. I would have been one of those because, you know, Jesus was breaking the rules. And uh, I realized I was a little more religious than I was really a follower of Jesus. And it bugged me so much, I went and talked to my pastor about it. And I was sitting in his office and I was, I kind of broke down and I said, man, I just feel like, you know, my heart's being shown to me. And uh, he said, well, he looked at me with the most love he could ever muster up and he said, you know, that's actually a good thing. He said, yeah, I believe you might have been one of the ones crucifying Jesus. But he said, I also believe you would have been like Paul. And God would have got a hold of your heart. And you would have served him and lived for him and given your life for him. And uh, man, he believed it so wholeheartedly that it actually encouraged me. And I started to believe it myself. And that, was, that conversation was 30 years ago, and I still remember it today. Because his faith encouraged me so much. So we should have people in our life like that that are encouraged on our faith. But here's the deal. Our faith has to be built in us. It has to build up in us. You know, when the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, increase our faith. You notice nowhere in the scripture does it say that Jesus 
whipped out a, a flask of faith and told them to open up, start pouring it in their mouths. Like, you want a little more? You want to, is, that, is that enough? You want some more? He didn't do that. What did he say? He goes right into an analogy about a mustard seed to talk about faith, about how if, if you want to grow your faith, it, has to, it looks like a mustard seed. It might start very small, but if it's put in, a, in good soil and there's nutrients given to it to feed it and there's water and then it comes up and there's sunlight to help it grow and flourish, that's what our faith looks like. It's, it's a process. Even those that would have the gift of faith. You know, the Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 12, I think, Paul talks about some have been given the gift of faith. And if you've been given the gift of faith, even then you have to nurture it. You have to cultivate it in your life. My wife has the gift of faith, no question about it. But she still has to cultivate it in her life. She still has to work towards letting that faith grow in her. And we all do. It's for all of us to grow in our faith in our life. There is the gift that God gives us of faith, of knowing him, of being able to believe that he is who he says he is. But it's so important that we are willing to always take that next step in our faith. I know I talk about next steps all the time, probably every week. My goal is to talk about it every week because that's who we are. That's what we believe in. That's why we're having church is because none of, none of us are at the same place in our faith walk. Some here are brand new. Some here have been saved for a long, long time, but it's about all of us being able to take that next step. Whether you're a little seedling of faith or if you're a big, fully grown mustard plant, that we would be able to grow in our faith and be able to take those next steps and always, always seeking to go to the next level in our faith. And you know, those, those steps of faith in our life are oftentimes scary. You know, to go to another level, to be able to say that, that my faith is growing, it's not something where we typically will just strut into that next step. Usually that next step is a little bit of maybe your heart beating pretty heavily and maybe even have to take some deep breaths. When we, when we step out, when we make the effort to let our faith grow in our life, you know, I, I doubt that Daniel, as he was going into the lion's den, I doubt that he was strutting when he was taking his next step of faith. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace. They probably weren't dancing into the furnace. You know, there was some, sometimes it could be scary. Sometimes it could be, okay, God, I hope you're gonna meet me in this place. You know, changing your career in your 40s or 50s. That's a, that might be your next step of faith in your life, but and you, you're not gonna do it laughing all the way. You're gonna do it in faith because you know that would be what God's calling you to do. And we have to remind ourselves constantly to trust our God. Now let me be clear today that we cannot, we cannot please God without faith. The Bible is very, very clear that we cannot. In fact, Hebrews 11:6. six, I wanna read it. Many of you know this verse. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay, so it says here we have to have faith to please God, but this doesn't just mean just having a little bit of faith. You know, that, that if I just have a little bit of faith, that'll be pleasing to God, because the Bible actually tells us, Paul tells us in Romans, that all of us have been given a measure of faith. So we've all been given it to some degree, so that whatever that's been given to us, that is not enough in and of itself to say, oh, well, I have faith so I can please God, because if that was the case, the writer of Hebrews wouldn't have had to say that you can't please him without faith. It's more, it's more than just having a little bit of faith or having a little bit of belief in God. Faith is a verb. Faith is about moving forward and progressing in our faith. This verse maybe should, could sound more like without letting faith lead your life, it is impossible to please God. Or without exercising your faith, it is impossible to please God. Or without growing in your faith, it is impossible to please our God. Because that's what he wants for us. If we're not 
growing, if we're not exercising our faith, it's really just religion. I know that firsthand. It's nothing more than a ritual. It's nothing more than trying to look a certain way so that we can feel like we're good. Our faith should always be growing in our life. The good news is, in a healthy relationship with Jesus, if you're in a healthy relationship with Jesus, your faith can do nothing but grow. In a healthy relationship with Jesus. And that's part of why we're here today, so we can grow in our relationship with him, so we can be healthy, so that we can recognize things in our relationship with him that are not healthy and deal with them. Galatians 3.11, Apostle Paul says that the righteous will live by faith. So if you want to be righteous, the only option is to live by faith. In fact, our faith is what makes us righteous. Our faith in what he did for us. Okay? It's not us that makes ourselves righteous. It's our faith in him. It's our, it's our trusting in him. That is what makes us righteous. We become the righteousness of Christ by believing in him. So our faith has to be our compass. It has to be our guide in our life. And like I said, we're all in different places in our faith. We're all in different places on this journey, but it's important that we, if we wanna see if our faith cuts the mustard, we have to ask ourselves some questions. And I wanna ask you some questions today, and I want you to think about these and meditate on these. And the first question is, what is my posture? What is my posture? Am I entitled or am I earnest? And you might say, well, who's earnest? <laughs> well, I wanna tell you who earnest is in a minute. But that verse in Hebrews 11:6 that I just read, I'm actually gonna read it again. I'm gonna point out a different word in it this time. It says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly, everyone say earnestly, who earnestly seek him. So he is a rewarder, he rewards our faith for those of us that earnestly seek him. See, uh, faith, for faith to meet our expectations or to meet his expectations, it has to have earnestly sought after God. You see, spiritually entitled people don't typically seek him earnestly. Now, I'm not gonna go on a rant about entitled society and how we're all entitled now. You hear that word so much, it's, uh, it's become cliche. And uh, we all understand what's going on, that, that there's, a, there's an entitlement in our culture. It's nothing new. Been happening. I was blamed. I was accused of being entitled when I was a teenager. So this is nothing new. It's a it's a natural byproduct of a prosperous society, right? We're a blessed society where it's it's there's more wealth than there's ever been. Things are easier to get than they've ever been in the history of the world living in the United States today. So there's going to be some entitlement that is going to come down the pike, and we have to deal with it. Now we're not condoning it, but it it kind of is what it is. We, we deal with it, we manage it, right? You try to make it the best. If you have kids, you try to make it to where they don't subscribe to that, but at the same time, it's gonna be part of our society uh, the way we are going right now. Now, that being said, entitlement cannot, everyone say cannot. Entitlement cannot bleed into our faith. It cannot be part of our faith because it is very, very dangerous. And before we go anywhere, in our faith, we have to realize that God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. We have to understand that. Now, the reason he doesn't owe us anything is because he's already done everything. He's done everything he has needed to do for us to live the life that he has called us to live. Okay, so if, if he never does another thing for me the rest of my life, he has still done everything he needs to do for me. 
Because at the end of the day, I'm gonna be with him in eternity, right? And so if, if, if he's done what he needs to do so that I can be with him, that's enough. Now, the beauty of it is he is a rewarder, this verse says. He does reward us. So it, it's okay to, to be glad and excited and thankful for the rewards he gives us, but we can't act like we're entitled to it because it completely changes our perspective. It changes our attitude. And what Jesus does, what God does in our situation is that he rewards us in our situations. And you know what he rewards us with? More faith. He says, if you have faith, you can please God. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. He rewards us with more faith in our situations. And you might say, well, that's not the kind of reward I want. I don't want more faith. I can promise you, you do. I can promise you, you do. I can tell you unequivocally, there is nothing better in this life than having faith growing on faith. Because our situations aren't always going to be the way we want them to be. But oh, to have the faith to be able to look at that situation and trust Jesus in the midst of it no matter what happens. That is what the greatest reward we could ever get. Because we live in a fallen world and stuff's going to happen. So the win is for us to be able to have the faith that no matter what's going on, I can trust my God. That's what faith looks like. And if that's the reward that God's given me, that's perfect. There's nothing better than to be able to trust him in every situation we come across in our life. And there's a great story in the Bible of somebody that had some great faith and was, uh, was earnestly seeking God. And this guy wasn't even a Jew during Jesus' time. He was a Roman soldier. He was a, a, a commander over a company of soldiers, and the Romans were the ones that were oppressing the Jews. Yet this guy showed some pretty incredible faith. It was the, the faith of the centurion. It's in Luke chapter seven. So one of his servants was really sick and he really loved this servant. So he heard about Jesus. So he sent some people to Jesus to ask him if he'd come pray for him. And here's what it says in Luke seven, verse four. It says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly, there's that word earnestly again, with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. That is the attitude of someone that's not entitled. And this guy had every reason to feel entitled. He could have probably commanded Jesus to come to his house. Yet he said, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to have you under my roof. I'm not even worthy, but if you just say the word, he understood Jesus' authority. He understood who he was, and he said, if you'll just say the word, my servant will be healed. And that servant was healed, by the way. This is the attitude that God would want us to have. And look at Jesus' response to this in Luke 7, verse 9. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Everyone say amazed. Remember that word, amazed. I'm going to get back to that later. He was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Wow. This guy amazed Jesus. You know why he amazed him? He amazed him because of his earnest faith. Not because he was entitled, but because he believed in Jesus wholeheartedly. This amazed him. We see another example in the scriptures of Peter, where Peter wasn't entitled. Peter was fishing on his boat, and he'd been fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus comes up and says, hey, uh, brother, why don't you throw your nets down and get a catch? And Peter says, you know, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught a thing. 
But he said, Lord, since you said to do it, I'll do it. And so he does it, and he pulls in so many fish into the boat, they had to get another boat, and there were so many fish, both boats started to sink. That's how big a catch he had. And he knew right away that Jesus was somebody pretty special. He knew he was a lot more than just a regular person. And look at Peter's response to him in Luke 5, 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You see, he knew he didn't get what he deserved. He didn't deserve what had happened to him in that moment, but he wasn't entitled at all. He was thankful for what Jesus had done, and he saw himself in light of who Jesus was. The apostle Paul, the greatest apostle in the history of the world, probably, he had a very similar situation. He was talking in Romans 7 about how, how he wants to do good, but there's always evil lurking inside of him, and he's always got this constant struggle in his life. The greatest apostle to ever live, mind you. This is a pretty good guy. Look what he says in Romans 7, 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see a pattern here? Godly men are coming to Jesus, not entitled, saying, Jesus, you owe me this. You know, I, I, my church attendance is good. You owe me this. I give money to the poor. You owe me this. They're coming saying, Peter's actually saying, go away from me. I'm a sinful man, and you're obviously, you're, you're way too much for me to even be in your presence. The centurion is like, don't even come under my roof. Paul is saying, what a wretched, wretched man I am. But he's thanking God. That's what it looks like to not be entitled, but to earnestly seek after him. And to earnestly seek him means we have to be intentional, means we have to be deliberate, means we have to seek him, means we have to study his word means we have to use the mind that God has given us to build our faith. You might, you might think, well, we're not supposed to really use our brain when it comes to faith, you know? There's a stigma that, that once, you get, once you really decide to live by faith that you can't use your mind anymore, that it's all about faith. And let me tell you, that's completely contrary to the word of God. We don't, leave, we don't check our minds, our brains at the door when we get saved. God gave us our mind to use and our, our minds, our brains can actually help us grow in our faith. Faith is not about blindly believing. It is wise to grow our faith, to seek, to study his word, right? Faith says, I can trust God to protect me as I'm driving up Washington Road. But wisdom says, I'm still gonna wear my seatbelt, right? Faith says, God is my provider. Jehovah Jireh, my wonderful provider. He is my provider. Wisdom still says I'm gonna get up and get to work on time and I'm gonna work hard and try to impress my boss, right? Faith said God is my healer. God is the one that watches, the, he, he created my innermost being, he knows everything, he is my healer. Wisdom says I'm still gonna get health insurance, right? So faith and wisdom work together in the practical, but they also work together in how we grow in our faith. That's God's intent for us. Don't think that we can't use our minds. In fact, the good news is, is that Jesus tells us that we will have the mind of Christ. That's actually the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, we will have the mind of Christ. What Jesus said was when the Pharisees came to him, they came to test him, because that's what the Pharisees did, because they did not like him. So they were testing him in Matthew 22. And they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Wait a minute. The greatest commandment, 
from the law that Jesus confirmed is to love him with my mind? That's beautiful. That's, that might be revelation for some of us. That we can actually love him not just with our heart, not just with our emotions, not just about the emotional aspect of our faith, but we actually use our mind too. Because see, faith without knowledge is actually very dangerous. Faith without knowledge is what starts cults. It's what starts all kinds of weird religion. But when we actually have knowledge, we're studying the word, we understand it, it actually helps us to frame our faith. You guys should be testing what I'm saying on Sunday mornings. I mean, I can tell you, I work hard to not preach any heresy. I work hard to make sure that what I say up here is accurately, is biblically accurate. But you know what? You should still test it. I'm sure I've said something heretical in my life. I'm sure I probably did more than I think I did. You know, the Bereans in Acts, in the book of Acts, Paul went and, and preached to them, and they tested everything he said and lined it up with the word of God to make sure it, it lined up with the scriptures. And Paul, he, admonished, he, he encourages them for that. He says, that's great that they did that. They were they're mentioned in the word of God because of the fact that they tested what was said to make sure that it was accurate. Because they were using their minds in their faith. But you might say, well, but Jesus said to come to him as a little child, right? We're supposed to come as a faith like a child. If you don't come to me as a child, you, you know, it's not any good. So it seems kind of, kind of contradictory, right? I mean, the idea, the child's idea of wisdom is only sneaking two popsicles for breakfast instead of four, right? There's not much wisdom in a child. But here's the deal, that, that's a completely separate thing. When he's talking about coming to him as a child, that's coming to him regarding how you're going to trust him. You're gonna trust him as a child would trust a father. You know, when my, when my kids were little, I loved to throw them up in the air and catch them. I just loved to see their face. They'd get excited and laugh. And you know, they just blindly trusted me. They trusted me, they were, I'd throw them up and they were just convinced completely that I was gonna catch them. Now, Joy over there was having a heart attack, but the kids knew that dad threw them, so dad's gonna catch them, right? And they loved that. That's how our heavenly father wants it from us, that we would trust him, we would trust his faithfulness, we trust his character, we trust his mercy, we trust his promises. If God says something to us, we're just gonna believe it because God said it. It's really that simple. I don't care what society says. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what anybody says. God said it. I'm gonna believe it. That's how it is with a parent and their little child. You know, the, the, child, the parent says something to the child, they believe it whether it's true or not. And that's how God wants us to approach him. But it doesn't mean we don't use our minds. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't study, that we don't grow even in our own, in our wisdom as well. So what is your posture? The next question we would ask is, what is my perspective? What's my perspective today? Is it disappointed or is it determined in our faith? Are we disappointed in our faith? Anybody in here disappointed today in God? We wouldn't, well, nobody's gonna raise their hand because that's not, we're not allowed to, we have to pretend we're not, right? We all have a friend that's disappointed with God but it's hard for us to admit that we are. I can tell you in the last 18 months, I've seen more disappointment in the church than in my life before that combined because of this pandemic. Because a lot of people have been disappointed because of what has happened, because of what God allowed to happen to people of God. You know, that the, the church was affected, that Christians' finances were affected, Christians' families were affected, people died, so much has happened, and people have been really disappointed with God. But you don't hear much about that. In fact, when I hear people say, sometimes people say, well, I'm just not ready to come back to church yet. A big part of that, I believe, is because of disappointment with God, because of what has happened. And, and we associate church with God. And so there's such disappointment that God has allowed so much to happen that we don't 
we didn't want in our own life. We didn't want, we thought, we hoped that God would kind of put a shield around us. And because we still, still saw a lot of pain and suffering, even in the church, you see people that are really disappointed with him. But we just don't really admit it, right? And when we don't admit it, what we're doing is we're just hindering God's ability to be able to work it out in us. I want to tell you today, okay if you're disappointed with God. It is. It's okay. Now, we don't stay in that place of disappointment, but, but disappointment is just a, a displeasure because our expectations weren't met. That's all that is. So the only way to never get disappointed is to never have any expectations. And God forbid we would never have any expectations of our God. We should be expectant. We should be expecting things of God, but here's the thing, we're also humans. So there's things we expect from God that don't really line up with his will so they don't happen. Because none of us know everything, none of, our, none of us have all of our expectations completely lined up with what God wants. So there's gonna be times we're expecting something from God and it doesn't happen, so there will be some disappointment in our life. And that's normal to have, and that's even okay to have in our life. But if we don't admit it, if we're not transparent and authentic about it, and we act like we have it all together, then all that is is a thinly veiled religious spirit. That's all it is. It's us acting like we got it together when we don't. That's exactly what religion looks like. That's exactly what the Pharisees did, and that's exactly what they promoted, and that's exactly what keeps us from really being able to grow in our faith. So we have to be honest with ourselves. And you know, I mentioned that it's important that we have faith like a child, that we're expectant. You know, children are expectant of their parents, right? They have expectations that their parents are going to meet their needs. And a child will, will verbalize their expectations sometimes in ways that can be very embarrassing for a parent in a restaurant or in a store or in the mall where they manifest their expectations not being met. They, they express their disappointment in ways that can be somewhat disappointing for us, right? But we are still to always be expectant in our relationship with God. And you might say, well, it's fine for some people, but you know, I just, I've lived long enough, I just know too much. You know, to, to, to really be determined in our faith, you're just a little bit too naive, right? It's easy for us to say that. You ever been in a group with some friends, you've been just trying to decide where you wanna go eat, and somebody mentions a restaurant, and then another person in the group goes, ooh, no, I can't eat there. I actually used to work there, and I've been in the kitchen. I just know too much. People are eating cockroaches in that restaurant, right? <laughs> it's all, we've all had somebody like that. that mm -mm. I talked to an electrician the other day. I had to go to a restaurant here in town and do some electrical work back in the kitchen. He said, I'll never eat there again. I'm not gonna say what that restaurant was, but. Uh, but you know, we, we all have that, but it's because you know too much. But you know what, we can also do that in our faith. Well, you know, I've lived long enough to know. You know oh, I could say to you, you know, if you, if you used to come to me and say, you know, my, my mother has cancer and I'm believing for God to heal her, I could say, oh, well, that's, that's fine for you, but I, I know too much, because I believe for that and my mom died from cancer. So you're just being naive, you know? Or somebody comes and says, you know, I'm, I'm believing for God to heal my marriage. And I could say to them, well, that's fine if you wanna believe that, I just, I know too much. I know too many Christian marriages that have just crumbled. So I know too much. And we can allow past disappointments, past discouragements to derail our determination in our faith. But that's absolutely not what God's plan would be for any one of us. Our disappointment can either make us bitter or it can make us better. 
And my prayer is that it would make all of us better. The fact of the matter is, God has never let any one of us down. That's just a fact. God has never let us down. If our expectations are not being met by God, it's not because he let us down. We have to understand that. With everything that went on with this pandemic, God did not let us down, okay? Things didn't happen the way we wanted. Our expectations weren't met. We might've been disappointed even with God, but if we're disappointed with God, if we have an understanding of the scripture, we understand his character, we know that he never lets us down. So if we're disappointed with God, the problem's not with him, the problem is with me. It's with my perspective. So we need to pray that God would give us his perspective. We have to be determined and not to not stay in our disappointment because part of the battle is understanding that there is going to be disappointment in our life, even in our faith. There will be, we've all experienced it. And we expect that from people. We expect people to disappoint us, right? But not in our faith. But here's the deal. Even in our faith, it involves people. In fact, one of the people your faith involves is you. And you're gonna disappoint yourself sometimes. That's just the way it is, it's the way it happens. Jesus didn't, he never said that we're never gonna be disappointed. In fact, what he said is in this world, you're going to have trouble. I can, I'll, I'll take some liberty here with the scripture, but in this world, you will have disappointment. Now, the second part of that verse is beautiful. He says, you can take heart because I've overcome the world. He didn't say you could take heart because that's actually a thing of the past. You're never gonna have trouble anymore. He said, you could take heart because I've overcome, which means you can overcome even in your trouble, even in your disappointment. You know, one of the words, one of the names of God, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is to be our comforter. Capital C, comforter. You don't need a comforter if there's no disappointment. So that's his name. So we should know by that that there's going to be disappointment in our life, but the Holy Spirit in us, mm, it's a good thing. He's a very, very good person to have living in you because he can help us in that disappointment to deal with it and not allow it to derail our determination in our life. Paul said in Romans 8, 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? There's a lot of undesirable stuff there, right? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Man, we love the last part of that verse, don't we? I've, I've heard it quoted a million times in my life. I love it too. But you gotta look at the first part of it too. He doesn't say that those things don't exist now. He says that those things don't have to separate us from him. He didn't say, he didn't say that the trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or facing death all day long. He didn't say those things are gonna go away. He says, no, but in them, we're still conquerors. In them, we can still live victoriously because of what Jesus did for us. So he's telling us those things are all disappointing. I don't know about you, but I don't welcome trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger, sword. I don't welcome any of those. Those would be disappointing if they came into my life in any moment. But Jesus says here, you could still live victoriously. It's very dangerous for us to think that it's the Holy Spirit's job to eliminate all disappointment in our life. That's not scriptural. It's not biblical. But we could still be victorious in the midst of it. Let me tell you, church, Jesus did not come to take away all our trouble on this earth. He came so that the trouble on this earth, we wouldn't have to go through it with no meaning. We wouldn't have to go through it with no hope, endlessly just subject to whatever comes down the, the creek that day. 
He's saying you can go through it, and, and he gives meaning to all of those things in our life. And, and the, the beauty of it is, is that we know no matter what happens in this life, that this life is not the end. That's one of the reasons we can live victoriously, it's because we know this is just the beginning. This is just the preamble in our life. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm. In other words, to be determined. God is the one that helps us to be determined in Christ. He did three things for us. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. His spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our future, not guaranteeing that we won't have any disappointment. You know, there is a day coming where there will be no more disappointment, but it's not on this earth. It's just not. But if all of your eggs of contentment are in the basket of this world, then you're gonna live disappointed. And you're gonna live disappointed with God because that's not necessarily what's gonna happen for us. But we cannot let it derail our determination in our faith. Another question we gotta ask ourselves is what's my commitment? Am I a fan or am I a follower of Jesus? Let me tell you, Jesus doesn't need any fans. He's not trying to be an influencer, one of those social media influencers that we see all over the place now. He doesn't care to be one of those. He's not looking for fans because fandom is not about faith. Followers are about faith. If we're gonna follow Jesus, it requires faith. It actually requires commitment in our life. You'll see over and over and over in the Word of God where when you were, if you were gonna follow Jesus, it was gonna require a commitment. It was also gonna require sacrifice in your life. That's what it looks like to be a follower. So if you really want your faith to grow, if you really want that mustard seed of faith to grow in our life, we can't just be fans of Jesus, we have to be followers of Jesus. He told Matthew, the tax collector, he said, come, follow me. Matthew had to leave his tax booth, left his job, in essence, and came and followed Jesus. Jesus told Peter and Andrew and James and John, he said, leave your fishing boats and I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So they left their jobs and went and followed Jesus. The rich young ruler who had all the wealth and all the money and wanted to, wanted to know how he could get salvation. And Jesus said, sell everything you got, give it to the poor and come follow me. There was a sacrifice and a commitment to following Jesus. And then Jesus tells all of us, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. There's a sacrifice and a commitment to being a follower of Jesus. But to be a fan of Jesus is easy. Society is a fan of Jesus in a lot of ways. But a fan would approach their faith in Jesus more like a sporting event, where you're just kind of on the sidelines, you wanna, you wanna watch, you wanna cheer for him. You know, we're all cheering for Jesus. Whatever team he's on, that's the team I'm cheering for, because we want him to win. But it's more of a spectator thing, it's more of a, uh, there, there's not really a lot of commitment. And, and Jesus doesn't want us to cheer for him, he wants us to follow him. And uh, you know, I, uh, I, I was thinking even as a, a fan, like let's say you're a fan of a sports team. You know, I, I'm an Ohio State guy. I grew up in Ohio, that's my team. I've always liked them. I know, save the booze, but uh, uh, I actually, I like Georgia too, unless they're playing Ohio State, so I'm, I'm kind of one of those mutts, you know? And uh, but man, I remember it, back in 02, Ohio State won the football championship for the first time in my life. They won some back in the 60s and earlier, but you know, I'm much too young to have been around then. 
So uh, the first one I remember was in 02, and it was a great day. I remember going to a friend's house, watching the game. The game went into overtime, and, and they won by a, a shoestring, you know, and beat the, the juggernaut Miami Hurricanes, and, and it was just a wonderful night. And I remember being so excited that night for about 20 minutes. And I remember looking at my watch going, man, it's late. I got to get home and go to bed because I got to get up tomorrow to go to work. Nothing changed in my life. Nothing. There was no investment other than a little bit of an emotional investment into this game. I started to go to work the next day. There wasn't any money put into my checking account because of what happened. I checked, nobody put any in. My family was the same, everything was the same. Every situation, every issue I had, every struggle I had in life was exactly the same, even though this team I love so much won. It was actually a big letdown. It was a huge letdown for me because all I had was bragging rights and I live in Georgia. Nobody cares about Ohio State here, you know? It was a big, big letdown for us, but that's what it looks like if we're just fans. Because at the end of the day, there's really no investment. There's really no commitment. There's, we're just observing. We don't really need faith if we're just a fan of Jesus. But if we're a follower, we're in the game. We're very invested. We're up close. We're in the trenches with him. We're exercising our faith. I know for me, when I went from being just a fan of Jesus, which is what I was in my early years, and I just kind of, I wanted to be associated with him because I knew I needed salvation, and you know, I was part of a church, and I thought that's all good, but there was really no commitment in my life. He didn't really have any say in my life. It was really just me kind of you know, throwing him a bone every once in a while. When I went from being a fan and decided I'm gonna be a follower, whoa, everything changed. My priorities changed. The things I love changed. My passions changed. Because now, instead of trying to make a name for myself, I was trying to make his name glorious. Now, instead of trying to just fulfill my own desires, I was trying to get the heart of God to see what his desires were and to get into what he's doing. It changes everything when we become a follower and not a fan. And what also happens in those times is that your faith grows. If we just stay a fan of Jesus our whole life, your faith's never gonna grow because you're not really investing in it. You're not gonna grow if you're just watching from the sidelines. You're just hoping to be entertained a little bit by knowing him in some way. So we have to ask ourselves: does my faith cost me anything? Does your faith cost you anything? Does it cost you more than a Sunday morning? Does it cost you something in your life? In fact, you can, scripturally, we can say that God wants our best. So we have to say, are we giving God our best or are we giving him our leftovers? It's an honest question we have to ask ourselves. And just because you did one way today doesn't mean you're gonna do that tomorrow. I think we need to always be asking ourselves that. And I know some of you might say, oh, well, when you start talking about giving God your best, some people, they kind of buck up because they're like, well, what about grace? What about the grace of God? Listen, I had incredible revelation of God's grace in my life 20 years ago. Incredible revelation, changed my life. But you know what? I didn't start doing less since I got that revelation of grace. I've actually started doing more. But now instead of doing it to try to win God's favor, I'm doing it because of the fact that I have his favor. I'm doing it because of what he's done for me. When I realized what he actually did for me and that I didn't do anything to deserve it, but he did it anyway, there, what else can I do with my life but give it to him? How could I withhold anything from him after he has done so much for me? That's what grace looks like in our life. So we should be giving him our best. Now that being said, I had this revelation 20 years ago. It doesn't mean every day since then, it's just been easy to walk in that grace and give him my best. So we need to keep asking ourselves this. We need to keep pondering. We need to meditate on his word and, and looking at our own heart and seeing where our heart is. God, are you just getting my leftovers today or are you getting my best? Because he wants our best. And if there's no discernible difference between 
your priorities and your standards from the world's, then I can tell you today you're probably just a fan of Jesus because our life should look different. If we're giving our best to God, our life is gonna look different than society's life looks. And this is why it's impossible for us to please God without faith being in the driver's seat of our life because we are to look different. Society has a way of pulling us into its clutches and pulling us into having the standards that our society would want us to have. And there's always, there's four things I look at in my life to see if my standards are more lining towards society or if they're more lining up with faith in God. Because again, just because you're there one day doesn't mean you're gonna be there the next day because our mind is always working against us too, right? So there's four things I look at. One of them is power. That's a standard in society. Society wants power. They want, they want to have power over people. They want to have things that they can control. This is where the comfort comes in. If I have enough power, if I have enough influence, then, then I can assure myself of being comfortable because we really, in our nature, in our human nature, we want comfort in life, right? So am I, am I pursuing power in my life? And the next one is prestige. Do I care about prestige too much? The accolades that come from having a degree or having a title or having letters after my name or before my name. Nothing wrong with any of these things, but if it's going above me following Jesus, then it's an issue. Society wants position. This is all about where you are in life, your career, your job, your family, your marital status, whatever position we position ourselves to be successful in society. Again, nothing wrong with these things, but if it's above me following Jesus, it's an issue. And the fourth one is just our possessions. And this is something we're gonna struggle with till the day we die on some level because there's always a drive to want stuff. There's always a drive to want things. But if, if me wanting a new car or a new house or, or more stuff is taking precedence over me following Jesus, then it's an issue. Then it's an issue in my life and I need to reset. So I encourage you to, even with these four things, to, to consistently be meditating on this and thinking about this and am I, am I following Jesus first or is he getting third, fourth, or fifth place on this list? Because he wants to be number one and that's where he should be. But if these are your top priority, you can't really be following Jesus the way he wants us to follow him. You're more of a fan in that season. You know, there's a, uh, one more verse that I would like to read to you today. It's, it's out of Mark 6 and this is when Jesus went back to his hometown during his ministry, and many of you know this story. He goes into his hometown, he starts teaching, and they're amazed at his ability to teach. And a lot of the people had seen him do miracles, and all of a sudden, people started to recognize him and say, wait a minute, isn't this guy the carpenter's kid? What does he do? Who does he think he is? And the Bible actually says they were offended at him. And so uh, Jesus goes on in uh, Mark 6, verse four, look what he says. Says Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed, everyone say amazed. Remember we, we, somebody else, he was amazed at somebody else earlier, the centurion. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. That's a powerful statement that they're saying there. He was amazed at the centurion's faith and his evidence of his faith, but he was amazed at these Jewish people's lack of faith. You know, we have the ability to amaze Jesus with our faith or with our lack of faith. I don't know about you, but I want to amaze him with my faith. I want my faith to move his heart. I want my faith to, to be something that he notices, not so that he can pat me on the back and say, good job, but because I think that's the way we honor our God. 
Because like I said, when, I, when you get that revelation of his grace and what he's done for you and the fact that you don't deserve it and you're not really getting what you deserve, one of the, ways, one of the best ways we can honor him is to let our faith be evident. And I believe it, that when he sees it, he is amazed at our faith. Because it's not easy. Nobody said this faith life was easy. We don't get to see Jesus face to face. You know, Thomas, when Jesus resurrected and was going around and showing himself to people, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it's him until I can see him. And so we, we know, if you know the story, Thomas is with some of the disciples and Jesus comes in the room and he walks up to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And he showed him the scars and Thomas said, oh, my Lord and my God, and he believed. It's a beautiful story, but the next line is the best part of it. Jesus says, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's for you and me, because we don't get to see Jesus face to face right now. So he says, blessed if you believe and haven't seen. That's us, guys. So it's not easy to walk this walk of faith. We're gonna have those doubts. We're gonna have those moments where we're strong in our faith and we feel like, yes, I know this is God and I'm stepping into it. And then there's gonna be times where we're going, not sure, what if I miss it, you know? What if it's not real? I mean, I, I tell you guys this all the time, but I've had moments in my life where I've, I literally can hear myself saying it because I know I said it, God, I'll never doubt you again because it was just such a powerful moment where God revealed himself to me and I was in tears and I said, God, I'll never doubt you again. And within a week, God, are you real? It's just who we are, we're humans. So God knows that this is a challenge for us, that it is a blessed thing if we believe and haven't seen, but I don't want him to be amazed at my lack of faith. Definitely don't want him to be amazed from that. But he, and, and we have to ask ourselves, am I a follower or am I a fan? Because he's looking for followers that will follow him to the ends of the earth. Would you stand with me as we close? Those, those people in his hometown, they definitely had the attitude of a fan. They wanted to watch him. They were, they were excited to see him perform and do his thing, but when it came down to it and they really had to acknowledge whether or not he was God, they got offended. They had no intention of being a follower of Jesus. Let's not be fans. Let's be followers. So we have to ask ourselves, does my faith cut the mustard? Where is my faith in this mustard seed analogy? Am I a seedling? Am I, am I dead on the sidewalk? The seed never even got in the ground? Or am I in the ground and am I flourishing or am I stunted? The good news about God and this, this life of faith that as long as there is breath in our lungs, we have options. We know that no matter how, how much we've rejected our faith, no matter how much we've taken it for granted, no matter how much we've just maybe just been a fan all these years, in the moment that you commit to being a follower of his and to, to allowing him, his, the faith in him to be in the driver's seat of your life, he meets you in that place. The Bible tells us Jesus does not snuff out a smoldering wick. He's here to, to put his spirit in us, to live in us and empower us to live for him. So I'm gonna pray for us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know, we're still not doing altar calls yet. We're, we're, we're wanting to be very diligent, but you know, you don't have to come to an altar to pray. If, if you don't know Jesus, you could do it at your seat. You could, it's a matter of committing your life to him and being invested, getting off the sidelines and getting into the game. The Bible's very, very clear that he will not push any of us away. If we come to him, if we confess our sins and we believe that he is Lord, that we will be saved. You could do that today. Now, it's not just a prayer you pray. It's about committing yourself to him, saying, okay, God, you're in the driver's seat now. It's not my life anymore. It's yours. 
But if you're here today and you're somewhere on this journey of faith, and you just, you know you need to take your next step. That's every one of us, whether you're here or listening online, every one of us have a next step of faith to take. I wanna challenge you today to have the, the strength to be willing to take that next step. Whatever that looks like for you, it might be in your, in your job, it might be in your family, it might be in your, uh, in your personal quiet time study in the word, whatever it is, to be willing to take that next step. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you've given us all a measure of faith. Lord, we wanna know you more. We wanna commit our ways to you. God, I, we wanna see this faith grow in our life. We say, as the disciples say, increase our faith, Lord. God, help us to take that next step in our faith. Whatever that looks like for every one of us, whether, it's the, whether the next step is just a step of salvation or if it's taking a step of doing something really bold, God, give us the strength to be willing to take that step and to trust you. Lord, we repent for where we've been fans, where we've been entitled, and where we've been disappointed and stayed in it. Lord, we repent of that today. We thank, the, we thank you for your forgiveness, that your word is true, it's clear, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Thank you that you're doing that today in each one of us, Lord. Let our hearts be good soil. I pray you would seal this word that you brought us today by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would not forget it, but that it would actually produce fruit in our lives for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Can we praise God today with a hand clap offering? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God.